Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Well, this morning I'm going to do something I haven't done this entire year so far. Of 2021, haven't done it even once. And you know what it is? Today, for the first time in the past 42 weeks and more that we've been in this Red Letter Living series, I'm adding a part two to one of our Red Letter passages. There's just a few more things. Six, actually. And by the way, all your blanks are filled in today. You have everything I'm going to say, at least the key points, right there in your bulletin this morning. So you don't have to be trying to fill them in. I just want you to listen because there are some things today that I think are going to thrill you, going to surprise you maybe, and going to just make you feel more special than you felt when you came in this morning. These are things that we need to say about this guarantee like no other that we looked at last week. So here was the red letter teaching last week. John chapter 15, 5. Remember this? Jesus said, If anyone remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. There is much to get out of this today. So let's ask our Heavenly Father to help us. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus came into this world sharing so much truth, saying so many things, things like nobody else had ever said them, things that men and women need to hear, that we need to hear today. And we pray now as we we try to unlock this teaching of Jesus a little bit more, that your Spirit would guide us, and that our minds and our hearts would allow these things to impress us. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If any man remains in me and I in him, Jesus said, he will bear much fruit. Now last week we looked at the condition and the consequence that's contained and implied by those words. The condition is this. Starts with an if If anyone remains in me and I in him. That's the condition for bearing fruit. If we remain in him and he remains in us. So let me just, so I know how we're doing today. How many of you are in that condition right now? Good, good. Because you see, really, there's more of you than you think. Some of you didn't raise your hand because you're humble I'm not really abiding in Christ right now, the old King James says. I don't know if Christ is abiding in me right now. But think about it. The Spirit of God this very moment is busy putting you, each one of us, into Christ. And he's busy putting Christ into us this very moment. 
Now, I've been seeking to do that for you and for me with every word I've spoken since good morning this morning. Let me ask you, hasn't Jesus become more your focus since you entered these doors? Driving to church, were you thinking all about Jesus? When you got up and decided what to wear, were you thinking all about Jesus? Once you came through these doors and sat down and began to sing songs of worship and reminding ourselves, weren't you, haven't you been thinking more about Jesus than you were before? See, all of us are in an environment where, in a sense, more of Jesus, truth, and, and spirit are being put into us even as we sit here. And we are being put more into Christ, into the truth of him. So this condition is really in the process of being met. If anyone remains in me and I in him, how many of you, let's just get rid of this, get sure of this, how many of you guarantee me that to the degree that the Holy Spirit has put you into Christ and put Christ into you, even in this worship service this morning, how many of you are committed to stay in that state till at least we're done here? Okay, good, good. So the condition we're working on and we're actually focused on and we're committed to keeping going in our life. If anyone remains in me and I in him, so then, if the condition is in the process of being fulfilled... And if the consequence, the outcome of that condition, if people do remain in Christ and Christ remains in them, if the consequence, the outcome is they will bear much fruit, then let me ask you, what are you doing right now? Well, you're remaining, you're meeting the condition, but what's the result of that condition? What are you doing right now if you're remaining or abiding in Christ? You are bearing much fruit. Wow. Have you ever thought that before? Sit in church and say to yourself, wow, I am bearing fruit. It's popping right out on me. (laughs) See, because Jesus guaranteed it. He said that'll happen. If we do these things, if this condition is true of us, we will bear much fruit. So I want you to say this quietly to yourself. Because I know there's there's some uneasiness with saying this about yourself. So just say this to yourself. Pastor Mark says that I am being spiritually fruitful right here, right now. Just mumble that to yourself. Pastor Mark says that I am bearing spiritual fruit. I'm being spiritually fruitful right here, right now. And now say to yourself, I'm not sure how. I'm not completely sure what spiritual fruitfulness even is. But do accept the first thing. That if you are here with a focus upon Jesus Christ and his goodness in your life, if you've been reflecting upon the truths of him that we've sung about and talked about, you are in the condition where Jesus guaranteed fruitfulness will result. 
And that's what I want to share with you this morning. What is this spiritual fruitfulness that that can be part of our lives when we're sitting right here worshiping him, when you're home and focused upon him, any time at all that you are uniquely caught up in the goodness that is Jesus Christ and rejoicing in that. You see, as I was pondering this message a week or so ago, getting ready for it, I remember taking my Apple Pencil and my iPad and and started to jot down actually the answer to that question. What is spiritual fruitfulness? If Jesus says you will bear much fruit, well, what exactly is that? And I believe the Holy Spirit kind of stirred me and, and I wrote down six things that just came right off the the top of my head, right from his heart. Six things that just seem like, of course, this is, this is what being spiritually fruitful would look like. These things are characteristic of people who are being spiritually fruitful. And I got that list, and then this message came around that it was going to be part of our first fruits message, and last week we, we didn't really have enough time for all of that, but it really just took a different turn. And we just talked about the promise, the guarantee. We talked about the, the outcome that my father will bear, will, you will bring much glory to my father. And that was our focus last week. And these things remain. And yet I believe these things need to be identified. It's like the Holy Spirit gave me the six of them and then pretty much said, well, you can find in the Bible where they're verified. So that was my task. I had the six things. They came right off in an instant. Now, does the Bible really say so? What are the key verses that kind of promote these things and tell us about them? And that's what we've done and that's what we're going to do today. Each one of them is an example of God-honoring fruit. If these six things are in your life, even one of them, they are fruit. It is fruit that honors God that brings glory to God. And it's a result, a natural result, of you having Christ in your life and you being caught up in the goodness of your Savior. I hope this morning that at least one of them is going to strike a chord with each one of us. And some of us, possibly, might find all six of them to be familiar and actually part of our fruitful living. So here we go. Might have to go pretty quick through some of these, but take special note. These are things you're going to want to be aware of. You want to going to keep in your mind. You want to keep this outline here because these are the kinds of fruit that will pop out on the branches of our lives when we get into the kinds of situations that uh, encourage them appearing. So here we go. Number one. Six examples of visible, practical, God-honoring fruit. Number one is fearlessness in the face of death. Fearlessness in the face of death. This is a wonderfully God-honoring fruit. To be free of the fear of death is a unique fruit of a born-again child of God. It's most uncommon for those apart from Christ, either the unsaved or the wayward Christian. Here's what the scripture says, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. 
The writer says, he, that is Jesus, shared in their, that is our, humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And he might free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Anyone that Jesus has not freed from that fear is still enslaved by it. The fear of death. To an unbeliever, death is the great enemy. Death is the great mystery. The prospect of death can make life seem purposeless and fruitless. Death, and especially the process of death, is fought with fear. Not so for a fruitful believer. Not so for a believer who is abiding in Christ. Not so for a believer who has the very spirit of Christ dwelling within him and he's becoming more and more like Christ. Here's what the Apostle Paul testified. Philippians 1, 21 and 23 says, Now for me, see this is in contrast to them. This is not true of unbelievers. This is not true of Christians who are not abiding in Christ, who who just made a profession of faith and whether they're saved or not, only God the Father knows, but they're not really abiding in Christ. They're not really sensing the presence of Christ and the company of the Holy Spirit and the will of God all being worked down in their life. They're they're just kind of not quite what Christ would have them be. They resist the Spirit. They're believers, but they're carnal. They're fallen. Paul was not one of those. And this is what Paul says a Christian abiding in Christ is like. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. That is my life. And to die is gain. To die is gain. He says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ which is better by far. That's the Christian point of view. Heaven is our home. Jesus Christ is the one who awaits our arrival as as those that he saved from judgment and he has saved them and delivered them from the fear of death. So fearlessness in the face of death is a spiritual fruit. A fruit that arises in the heart of one who has received eternal life through faith in Christ. Last few years, we've used a phrase here at Sun Life, we just call it, coming to the end of your life with your faith intact. Knowing that there's nothing to fear, for we know the Spirit of God himself will escort us through that glorious door called death right into the presence of our Savior and our Father. It's a fruitful moment. It brings glory to God. We have seen it happen to others. And we await our turn ourselves. Fearlessness in the face of death is a fruitful condition to be in. And it honors God when those who are his children feel it, sense it, communicate it, to say there is nothing to fear. God 
is the master of it all. My Savior Jesus has destroyed death as far as its ability to harm us eternally. So there's no longer any fear there. There is an anticipation of what lies on the other side. Now here's a second example. Peacefulness in the midst of troublesome trials. Peacefulness in the midst of troublesome trials. Worry, anxiety, fearfulness, fretfulness, unsettledness. These are all common characteristics of fallen human beings when they encounter the difficulties and the uncertainties of life. Life in this broken, messed up world of ours. Not so the fruitful believer. Here's how our Savior himself explained their reality. John 16, 33, he says, In me, see, he who remains in me and I in him, Jesus says, In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome this world. Jesus didn't anticipate And he certainly didn't promise life without trouble, life without trial, but he prophesied a calmness in the midst of it, a calmness that comes from the life he himself shared with them. In me, he said. In other words, as you abide and remain in me, you will be privileged to experience peace When everyone else, when anybody else, would be feeling panic. This our Heavenly Father calls fruit. And it brings glory to him. Right now. Right now, in this place. Having come into his awesome presence in worship. You are bearing some of that fruit. Aren't you? Is there not a certain amount of peace in your heart? Is there not that that calmness that says, my God is in control? Even though this world can be out of control, it seems. Even though I can't control the things around me, my Heavenly Father is in control of me, and he's in control of it, and I can trust him, and that makes me calm in the midst of even uncertainties. And so God would say, keep doing it. Relax in the peace that comes from the one who's been designated Prince of Peace. And know that as you do so, you are bringing glory to your Heavenly Father. Might be a different notion of fruit for many of us. It's not going out and doing some great thing, but to be at peace and know the peace of God and trust him in the midst of the uncertainties and even the brokennesses of life to realize that peace in your heart is a tremendously fruitful thing. No unbeliever really has it. But you who've given your life to Christ, you who have become children of God, when you have it, your Heavenly Father above is glorified by it. It's spiritually fruitful. Here's one more thing. Hopefulness in times of confusion. 
As you look through the scriptures, hope has always been and has always impressed our God as noteworthy fruit. And the less we understand about how the hope for thing is going to happen, the more impressive our hope is. So if there's anything about your world and your particular circumstances that has you in complete confusion this morning, don't raise your hand, but is there anything in your life, anything that's part of your world right now, that you would say to yourself, I am completely confused about that. I don't know why it's here. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. It's just a great big question mark in my mind, this thing here. If there's anything in your world like that, then right now, you are in a marvelous position to bring some spiritually fruitful thing to your Heavenly Father. To bear this kind of God-honoring fruit. See, that's especially true if you find yourself saying this, I don't see how any of this can possibly work out for my good. Now, the more you're in that, the more you are ready, capable, able to bear fruit in that situation. Here's one of the first examples of such fruit bearing recorded in the Bible. It happened almost 4,000 years ago, and the fruit bearer was the patriarch Abraham. The Apostle Paul, telling the story to the believers in Rome, wrote in Romans 4.18, against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed. I could add the word anyhow. Against all hope. There was no reason, really, humanly speaking, for him to hope in this thing that he had heard about, this thing that was possible, this thing, actually, that seemed impossible, But he nevertheless continued to believe and hope. Talk about a time of confusion that he was in. Here's the situation. God had just told a nearly 100-year-old man, that's Abraham, and a nearly 90-year-old barren woman, that's Sarah, that they were going to have a child. The question, how could this be, initially took a back seat to the exclamation, this can't possibly be. Now that was Sarah's position. She heard God say that to her husband, and remember she was in the tent, and she's behind the tent where she saw and thought nobody could see her, and, and certainly nobody could hear her, and she just laughed right out loud. This can't possibly be. So you don't even have to ask God, how can that be? I don't. There's no answer to that question because it can't possibly be. Abraham took a much more fruitful position. And he basically said this, I don't know how this could possibly be, but I will believe the Almighty. I will put my hopes of a child, a son, an heir that will lead to a great nation, just like God said. I will put my hopes in his marvelous promise and his miraculous 
power. Probably some of us in this room are doing that right now. You're in the midst of a challenging and perhaps unexpected and certainly unchosen circumstance and you wonder how anything good could come out of this circumstance. But you know that the Bible says in all things, in all things, so that would be this thing too that confuses you right now. In this thing, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And I know some of you are probably in a situation like that and you have claimed that Romans 8.28 promise of God and you're just holding on to it. You're holding on to it. And let me tell you, as you sit here this morning believing God and trusting God, spiritual fruit is being born. And your Father is receiving glory. When you say, I will believe him. I will believe him. I will continue to hope in the fulfillment of his plan and purposes in this thing. For my hope is in him, not in something I've figured out. My hope is in him. My hope is in his word. And I continue to hope. Uh, It may not come about until I'm gone. But this circumstance that might be bringing me pain, this circumstance that might be so hard to understand, this circumstance that has me completely buffaloed, I am putting my hope in the God who says, I work in everything, this one too, and I work for the good of those who love me. So trust me. Trust me. You see, this is a marvelous spiritual fruit hopefulness in times of confusion. And as a result, when we do that, you find a stability within you that goes way beyond what the circumstances around you could possibly provide. And you find yourself with a testimony like the writer of Hebrews had. He shared this in Hebrews 6.19. He said, we have this hope. Any hope that is focused upon God. Any hope that is directed toward God. Any hope that is gaining strength and sustenance from God is a hope that will have this kind of function. And here's what the writer said. We have this hope. Say to yourself right now, if you're in that situation, my hope. My hope, my belief that in this circumstance, God is working out something for my good. I believe that. I am hopeful of maybe even seeing the good come in my lifetime, but I believe it will happen. You zero in on this, and here's what the writer says now. We have this hope as an anchor. As an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. How often do the unexpected things of life do damage to our soul? Oh, we trust God, we love God, we worship God, we do all these things, and then out of the blue comes something that is so undesirable, so unexpected, so not what we want, that it just knocks us for a loop. 
and we find ourselves getting tangled up in, in a, a lot of how come questions and why questions and maybe even doubting that, that God does have a plan for our life. And maybe we need to just step in there and take charge of things ourselves somehow and, and all of a sudden, uh, if you could have something that would keep your soul anchored, it can't be knocked off stride by the events of life. See, the writer here says, it's that kind of hope. It's that hope in God. Even in this one promise of God, that he works in everything, this thing too. And you put your hope in that, and that hope then anchors your soul, and your soul, your soul still stays committed and focused, anticipating the outcome of God's will and work in your life. And, and you don't even think again about how horrible this is, and it's going to ruin everything. And because your hope is in the Lord and in his word and in his promise. And when you maintain that hope, that hope in the eyes of God is spiritual fruit. And it honors him and glorifies him. Well, we're halfway through. Here's the fourth example this morning. I just call it this, loveliness in the midst of ugliness. How many of you would agree that there's some ugliness in our world today? Always has been. Hasn't there been? This is a fallen world. This is a sinful world. This is a world where people are motivated frequently by the fallenness of their human nature and they can do ugly things, mean things, bad things, unthinking things, hurtful things. And we live in this world. I don't need Linda to plaster any headlines on our screen this morning to illustrate the ugliness that fills our world. It's found everywhere. But it's always been so. The Apostle Paul wrote this description of the fallen human race nearly 2,000 years ago. And when he wrote these words, he was quoting the Hebrew prophets who wrote them even earlier than he was living. We'll just jump into the middle of his depiction. It's found in Romans chapter 3, parts of verses 13 to 18. Paul just says, talking about the world as a whole, there is no one who does good. Not even one. Now, the word good is a pretty high standard. Remember when the man came to Jesus and he says, good master, what should I... And before Jesus even got to his question, he says, you call me good? You're calling me good, master? I mean, do you really realize the impact of that word? There's only one who is truly, capital G, good, and that is God. So even with a small g, sort of living a God kind of life, a God-honoring life, Paul says there really is no one who even does that. There's no one who does good in and of themselves. Not even one. Their tongues practice deceit. They're a bunch of liars. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They live as though he doesn't even exist, let alone that he's going to hold them accountable. Sound familiar? It's pretty easy to fall into ugliness when you are surrounded by it. However, fruitful believers don't. 
Fruitful believers follow these red-letter words of Jesus. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And you know, I was realizing just getting this far in the message preparation, I was realizing for the first time in my life that when you think about it, what Jesus just said we should do is really not very hard to do. Those who exhibit fearlessness in the face of death, those who exhibit peacefulness in the midst of troublesome trials, those who exhibit hopefulness in times of confusion, and those who exhibit loveliness in the midst of ugliness, well, they're pretty easy to spot. They're pretty easy to spot. If you're any one of those people, you don't have to worry about letting your light shine. Like, am am I getting... You are a glow. You are recognizable. You might be considered an oddball, but you can't be discounted or ignored. You are just a different kind of human being, and anybody around you recognizes it. Let your light shine. Jesus is just saying, be who you are, and you'll be recognized. Be this fruitful person, and you will be recognized. People like that, they create amazement in the people around them. And this fruit of theirs ultimately brings glory to their Heavenly Father. Loveliness. The very character of Christ in the midst of a world of ugliness. Well, here we go. Two more to go. Number five, faithfulness in response to temptation. There is a very special glory that comes to our Heavenly Father when his children resist temptations. The temptations to sin that this world provides. That's not hard to understand, is it? How many of you, now don't raise your hands. How many of you have ever had your children do something that was just right? I mean, just right. Nailed it. Did exactly what you told them to do. Did it in the way you told them to do it. And there was a marvelous outcome. And and there might have been other people telling your kids, don't do that, don't do that. Your mom's not watching, you can do. But they did exactly what you wanted them to do. You could tell they were kind of tempted. At least things were being put in front of them and they turned those down. They resisted and they did exactly what your family does and what you wanted them to do. And they they were like shining in your eyes like a star in the universe. And and whenever that happens, how glorious that is. But just imagine the glory that comes to the Heavenly Father. Whenever a fallen human being who has to overcome a fallen sinful nature still, who's living in a world where the devil can make sin very attractive and very almost you can be into it before you know you're even into it. When a person like that, who's become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, comes nose to nose with a temptation to sin and says no, I will not. 
I'll not give in to the urges of the flesh. I will not give in to the teachings of the world. I will stand exactly where my Heavenly Father has told me to stand. Oh, how that brings glory to the Heavenly Father. It's no small thing that Jesus himself was confronted by temptations. Temptations put forth by the devil himself prior to Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. You see, sin derails God's purposes. Temptations test us and prove us. Resisting them is a very special kind of fruitfulness. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, what he's going to tell us is that something's going on where we're going to need God to be faithful. So he's letting them know before I get into this next thing that you can count on God being faithful, but he wouldn't say God's being faithful unless he's going to talk about something where if God wasn't faithful, we'd be in trouble. So here's what he says. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. Wouldn't that be great if the period was right there? God will not let you be tempted. You know what? He didn't even let his own son not be tempted. His son was tempted by the greatest tempter of them all. And tempted in ways that, boy, you had to know what you were doing to just realize how the devil was even coming against him. But he found scriptures every time that put him on the straight and narrow. But the verse goes on. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. We never know how much we can bear. How many of you, when you've been tempted to do something, have kind of felt like, I think that says, I can't, I can't hold out any longer, but then you held out longer. See, God knows what we can bear. And when we're tempted, and we resist that temptation, and maybe the whole world is coming against us, maybe our whole family says, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you can't do that, and, and we're just tempted to go with the flow, to do the thing. Maybe our own inner nature says, oh, I want that so bad. You've got just a little bit, just now. You've got to. And we feel like we're being pushed right to the limit. And then we go further. This verse says, God won't let us go past the limit. So the limit in our mind is never the limit in his mind. His grace is always sufficient for us. He will not let us be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape so that you can bear it. This is God talking. This is God promising This is the way that it is. But we live in a world where we can be tempted. If Jesus could be tempted as a pure human being, just imagine how you and I can be tempted when we even have our own inner enemy. But God will not let us be tempted. So when you are faithful in the midst of temptation, in response to temptation... 
In God's eyes, this is spiritual fruitfulness of a very special kind. Now, just one last thing, and here we go. One final example, and this one can only be demonstrated over time, and therefore it has a very special significance. We state it this way, steadfastness when confronted with opposition. When the enemy comes against us and we just stand firm. This is what Paul says by way of encouragement in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 or 10 and 11. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes are the operating strategies of this fallen world. The world just runs on them. Unbelievers run on them. They think they're just doing what's normal. They just think what, this is what life is about. The devil owns this world. The devil has infiltrated this world. Every value, every position of the fallen world is from him. Paul says we're not unaware of his schemes. Paul says we need to renew our minds and, and discover God's truths. And see, when we do, to recognize them, first off, say, that's not from God. That's not right. That's, that's from the devil itself. That's from the sinful nature. To recognize it and then to resist it is what truly fruitful Christians do. And they do it consistently and continually. And that's called fruit. That's called being spiritually fruitful. All these things. All these things. Fearlessness in the face of death. Peacefulness in the midst of troublesome trials. Hopefulness in times of confusion. Loveliness. A sweet spirit in the midst of ugliness. Faithfulness in response to temptation and steadfastness when confronted with opposition. I'm sure the Lord could add others to that list, but those six. You see, the possibility is here that everyone in this room this morning is developing spiritual fruit as a result of one of these six things. Maybe you're not out there doing some great noticeable work for the Lord, not leading some great ministry, but what you are is being a follower of Jesus Christ and following the word of Christ and following your heavenly Father's direction and yielding yourself to the Spirit. And these six things are just growing in you till they become your entire character. So they become the thing that people think about when they think about you. And they may not have a word for it, but God the Father does. And his word is fruitful. You're fruitful. And Jesus said, if we remain in him and his words remain in us and he remains in us through those words, we will bear much of that. Much of that. 
It's a wonderful thing. Linda and I were talking about this yesterday as she's typing up the outline. It's a wonderful thing to belong to a church where you can list out a list of six things like this and put name after name after name after name behind each one of these headings. You are fruitful people. We all can be more fruitful. But these are the things. Keep them in your heart. These are the kind of things that glorify your Heavenly Father and that He declares to be spiritually significant, spiritually fruitful in His sight. And so our final thought just says this. Those who abide in Christ, who walk with Numa, and enjoy fellowship with the Father, produce an abundance of fruit. You can't help it. You can't help it. It's a guarantee, like no other. Our Heavenly Father, we've covered a lot of, a lot of territory this morning, but oh, how good it is to know that you have set up the system whereby our lives can honor you. Our lives, without us really doing anything except yielding to the mighty power of God, can bring glory to you, can be fruitful. Father, forgive us for times when we condemn ourselves. Forgive us when we misunderstand what fruitfulness is and, and we see the the people who are so obviously involved in your ministry, maybe worldwide or, or maybe very vocal or whatever it might be, and, and we might just say, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. Oh, Father, many, many who are noticeable are not necessarily fruitful. And I pray that we might, might by your Spirit, see these very things. These things are already in so many of the lives that are in front of me right now. These things have been exhibited by many from this church who over the years have been faithful unto death, fearless in the last days of their life and have entered into your presence joyfully, peacefully, wonderfully. And they've left behind themselves a testimony of of spiritual fruitfulness that still blesses us. So, Father, may that be true of all of us who hear today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.